Well, like AJ said, we are here in the final week of this series, Scars on the Soul. And it has been a really impactful series, I think, for a lot of people. If nothing else, just to talk about issues like anxiety and depression, and even today addiction from a biblical view, uh, but not like a, a biblical view of beating someone over the head who's dealing with this stuff, but really more of the way that we think Jesus deals with this, which is with compassion and hopefully with clarity. So if you've been with us, this whole series. I hope it's been helpful for you. If for no other reason, then maybe God's going to use you in the life of someone who needs to hear this as well. Well, like we said today, we are going to continue on and talk a little bit about addiction. And, and really, we'll start at the same place we have. Addiction is really a lot like anxiety and depression in that it's not a simple issue. We tend to make all of these things simple issues, but they're not. Um, like uh, anxiety and depression, when it comes to addiction, there are genetic there are uh, physiological issues that really do predispose some people towards certain forms of addiction. Um, and I know that that's not always how we think about it, but I think the science is pretty well documented behind it. Uh, this is how the American Society of Addiction Medicine describes addiction. They say that addiction is a treatable chronicle uh, medical disease involving complex interactions among brain circuits, genetics, the environment, and an individual's life experiences. People with addiction use substances or engage in behaviors that become compulsive and often continue despite harmful consequences. So when I read that definition this week uh, about what addiction is and what addiction looks like, uh, there were a couple things that jumped off the page at me. Number one, uh, as we already said, there are a lot of issues that feed into a person's addiction. But really what jumped out at me was the idea that this idea of addiction centers around compulsive behaviors that continue despite harmful consequences. Um, and, and I think we all kind of have that picture when we think about addiction, right? That it is uh, an addiction to drugs or an addiction to alcohol, in many cases an addiction to sex that just wreak havoc in a person's life and yet they don't stop the behaviors that is causing the havoc. Um, but as I read that and, and began to read more about addiction, it just felt like the, the secular medical idea of what addiction is really does leave us short and leaves us wanting a better way to understand what addiction is. And here's what I mean. As we talk about addiction, it seems like there's only two sides of a coin that people try to get you to choose from when you think about addiction. Number one, some people say that addiction is really just a disease that alters brain chemistry makeup that some people are predisposed to. And, and I believe that there is truth in that. Don't get me wrong. But it kind of falls short because it almost makes it sound like those people who suffer with addiction are just helpless victims of fate. They had no choice but to be addicted and there's no hope for their future. Or I think the other side of that spectrum, the other side of that coin, is that addiction is not a disease, it's just a choice and people just keep making bad choices over and over because they're morally weak and selfish. And I think that there's some truth there, but that's not the full picture either, right? Because we do know that there are uh, bio-psychosocial uh, brain chemistry, mental issues, uh, societal context that feed into a person's addiction that make them prone to these things. 
And so I think when you look just at the secular view, it feels like, okay, pick one. Either you have no choice or it's all your choice. And I think that both of those, when we talk about addiction, really do fall short. But I think it's here that the biblical worldview can step in and fill the gap. As a matter of fact, I think that the Bible, really the gospel, helps us understand addiction in a more full and comprehensive way than either one of the options that secular society would push us to. You see, I believe in many ways addiction is a paradox. It's a paradox of voluntary enslavement. Uh, What do I mean by that? I believe that addiction does begin often with a choice, but over time, that choice becomes bondage even when we don't desire it any longer. And I think this third road really does fit well uh, inside of the biblical worldview that addiction is at the same time voluntary and enslavement. It's why people who are addicted uh, feel very guilty about what they're doing, yet they can't stop what they're doing. It's how we say that they are at the same time responsible for their choices and yet out of control and needing help. And neither one of the secular options really gives us the reason why we feel that. Way. But see, Scripture does. We know that as sinful human beings, that we are broken by sin and we live in a world that has been broken by sin. And that the sin that has broken us is indwelling inside of us in our very flesh. And so we will not be able to be fully free of sin until we see Jesus face to face and are transformed then to be like him. And I think understanding that part of who we are as sinful human beings helps us understand a little bit more about addiction. And what I mean here is that the Bible simultaneously sympathizes with the fact that we are in bondage to our sin, that that sin nature indwells our flesh, and yet also holds us as morally responsible agents who have to give an account to God for what we do. We are dead in our trespasses and sins, but yet we have the hope that we can be made alive in Christ. And so the biblical worldview really does allow for this duality of responsibility and bondage, that voluntary enslavement. And for me personally, I I think that that does a lot to shed a more full light on the picture of addiction. It is at the same time a choice that has often been made that has wrought terrible consequences, but once we are enslaved to that, our brain chemistry does change. Our body does fight against us, and now we find people struggling to take or to break free uh, from that addiction. And so I love that the Bible gives us uh, some accountability, but it's a compassionate accountability. Yes, we are responsible, but we also understand why. This is such a difficult and deadly uh, subject for us to tackle. I think even beyond that, the scriptures do help us understand that addiction is more than just drugs, alcohol, sex, or any other destructive behaviors. 
As a matter of fact, when the scriptures speak about addiction, they do not narrow the focus to drugs and and alcohol. Oftentimes, there are well-meaning followers of Jesus who have been enslaved to what would otherwise be good things. Uh, Maybe it's food. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's social media. I don't know. It could be a ton of different things. But the point is is that I believe there are far more people addicted to what is harmful, whether they see the harm or not, as evident in some of the more truly outwardly destructive addictions that people battle. And so I think when we understand this full biblical picture of addiction, it kind of starts to come into view that we are all susceptible to addiction. And maybe we are predisposed to be more susceptible to certain types of addiction than others. But there's not a one of us who is not susceptible to having something in our life enslave us. And so then I think what we have to talk about today is as followers of Jesus, what does that leave us with? How, how are we then to live knowing that this is something that is not just for the morally weak or the fatally determined, but for each and every one of us, it's something that we have to be on the lookout for. Well, I want to kind of answer that today by walking through, I think, some pretty helpful passages of Scripture that can lay out for us maybe a model of how we can think about and maybe even deal with the idea of addiction. And so if you got your Bible, we're going to be in a few places. And the first place I want to start out is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, this is what Paul says. He says, Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. So I think when we think about addiction and realize that addiction is far more than drugs and alcohol, that we can become addicted to almost anything in life, I think the question that we have to stop asking is, can I? And the question we have to start asking is, should I? What I mean by that is rather than spending all of your time as a Christian saying, can I do this as a Christian? Can I drink that as a Christian? Can I watch this as a Christian? Can I do all of these things? We should stop asking, can I? Paul says all things are permissible. We should start asking, should I? Is it wise for me to do this? Is it wise for me to drink that? Is it wise for me to watch this? Is it wise for me to go to that place? Because Paul goes so far here as to say that he doesn't want to do anything that's going to put himself in a position to be mastered by that thing. So I think we have to be very intentional about what we do with our life and with our choices. Not can I, but should I? And then I think we can go further. Again, Paul speaking in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 6 and 8. This is what Paul says. He says, So then, let us not sleep like the rest, but let us stay awake and be self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled and put on the armor of faith and love and a helmet of the hope of salvation. So, so here what we see is Paul saying, okay, not stop asking, can I? Start asking, should I? And then be awake and alert with what is going on around you. You know, Paul, Paul literally says that. He says, be awake, be alert, be self-controlled. And I think the idea here is that we need to be, as followers of Jesus, careful 
not to put ourselves in situations that might ultimately lead to that enslavement or to that addiction. That's the point here of him using that day and night language, right? He's saying, look, there's a lot of things that happen in the night. You don't need to fool with those things because you belong to the day. But then he ends with this phrase that if you've been with us at the orchard for a little while may be familiar to you when he says, put on the armor of faith and love and the helmet of the hope of salvation. See, we had a series not too long ago, you can still find it on the website, called Life is a Battlefield, where we looked at the armor of God. And in that series, not only did we see that there is an armor that God has given us to protect ourselves, but that God has showed us there is a very real enemy that we have to deal with. In that series, we saw that the world, this culture that we live in, an enemy, the devil, Satan, and our flesh, which we already mentioned, are constantly fighting against us and pulling us away from Christ's likeness. So, so what Paul is telling us is, look, it's not just can I, it's should I. And you need to be awake and alert that this world, our enemy and your flesh, is going to be trying to pull you toward that enslavement. And so you don't just need to float through. You need to be very intentional and to be alert. Then we'll keep on. James Chapter 1, verse 12. This is not Paul writing. This is James, and this is what he says. He says, Blessed is the one who endures trials, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Now look at this. No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God, since God is not tempted by evil, and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. So I think... The, the picture here that James is painting is that, look, when that temptation does come, and it will, it does not come from God, right? And I think this is important for you to know. You can be uh, alert, you can be awake, you can be aware, but as hard as you try, you are going to face temptation in your life. There's going to be temptation to make those decisions that come into your life that you have to fight against. And when it comes, the first thing you need to know is that temptation does not come from God. It's not God who's sending temptation your way to test you. We have the world, we have the enemy, we have our flesh. Paul or James literally here says that we are led away by our own evil desire. But if we endure it, if we persevere, if we overcome it, that the Lord will bless and reward us. And so I think the picture, let's kind of keep following that trail. It's not can I, but should I. We should stay awake and alert. And then we need to know temptation is coming, but it's not going to come from God. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. This may be the key verse in all of this. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, Paul again says, No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity, but God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you were able, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way out so that you may be able to bear it. So what is the point of that? Here's what I want you to see. You will be tempted. We, read, we just read that in James. But there is hope when you are tempted. 
You are not a victim of fate. You are not on a predetermined course because of who your parents were. That there is hope when you are tempted. No matter how severe, there is a solution. God is faithful in our temptation. And he says here, in every temptation, he will give us a way to handle it. What he literally says is he will give us a way out. And I love what author Warren Wiersbe says about that. He says, the believer who thinks he can stand may fall, but the believer who flees will be able to stand. But see, I think if we're just being honest, and if I'm just going to be honest with you, there's a tension here in this text that we have to wrestle with. And that tension is, can a believer, a believer who's also an addict, can they choose not to give in to that addiction? Right, Like if we have acknowledged that yes, that addiction is in many ways a disease, it functions like a disease, it alters our brain chemistry, it controls us and enslaves us, can a believer who is an addict choose not to give in to that addiction? It's a difficult question, but I'm going to do my best to answer it. Um, So plainly, yes, I believe that a believer who is addicted can choose not to give in to that addiction. And the reason why is, number one, that to me is pretty clearly what Paul is saying here in this passage, but more importantly, when we look at it as a whole theologically, that if you are a believer, then the Holy Spirit is inside of you. The third person of the Trinity is literally indwelling you and empowering you. And so by the Spirit of God, you can choose to be obedient to God. But I think that that doesn't really get at the heart of the tension. See, what I just answered is, is it possible? Yes, it is possible. But I would also say... It's not necessarily probable. And here's what I mean. Let's just say that person is addicted and a follower of Jesus. They are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, but they are still enslaved to that addiction. It is possible for them to choose to turn away from that addiction. But it might not be probable. So let's just say that there's a 10% chance, a 10% possibility that they don't choose that in that moment. Well, they may not choose it then, but if they are faced with that decision again and again and again and again, that probability turns into a virtual certainty that they will give in to that temptation. And so I think what we have to begin to do is understand that, yes, it is the Spirit empowering us to be obedient to God, but it is often not just a one-time-in-the-moment decision. It takes medical care. It takes counseling. It takes discipleship. It takes Christian community to put us in a position that we will lower the probability we give in to that temptation and increase the probability that we are going to make the right choice. That does not happen overnight. Is it possible? Yes, but we have to work through care and counseling and community to make that more probable, not just possible. And maybe the way that we think about that is if you are driving down the interstate at 120 miles an hour, there may be an exit for you, but it's not going to be possible for you to take it when you come to it because you're going too fast. And if you try to take that exit, you're going to take a massive wreck. You've got to learn that you've got to slow down and prepare so that when that way off is available, then you can take it. 
One last verse I want to point you to here, and that is in Romans. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 5. And again, this is Paul writing, and this is what Paul says. He says, and not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance, endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So what's Paul saying here? That God uses our problems, He uses our trials, He uses our afflictions to transform us into His image. Now I want want you to just be clear. God does not cause these afflictions. And man, we have talked about afflictions in this series, right? Anxiety, depression, addiction. God does not cause these things. But He does not waste them either. You see, God is faithful to use even the darkest most painful afflictions in our life, ultimately for our good and to transform us into his image as we seek him in the midst of them. And I know that's hard, right? That's hard to get. Say, Chip, how could God use my anxiety? How could God use my depression? How could God use my addiction for good? It's such a terrible thing, and I get that. But I believe that's the promise here that God can and he does. Anxiety, right? Anxiety God can use that as a window into the deepest parts of our heart so that fear at the root of our anxiety can help us see those things in our life which were good things but have ultimately become God things that we don't think we can lose and we are terrified of losing. God can show us where things have crept up to a priority greater than they should. Depression, as we saw last week in the psalm, depression can increase our desire and longing for God's presence in our lives, especially when we don't feel it. When we don't feel God's presence, it can make us crave it even more. And with addiction, I think addiction and understanding the breadth of it can make us more alert to the things in our life that are ultimately trying to steal away our worship. Worship that belongs to Jesus alone. I think it's weird to talk about worship with addiction, but in my mind, worship is when we completely give ourselves to something. And if we are enslaved to this addiction, then we are unable to really fully give ourselves to Jesus. You see, I believe in all of its forms, at its heart, addiction is when we start seeking our deepest satisfaction in places and things outside of Jesus. And the truth is, ultimately, our addictions cannot bring us what we desire. That's why we are addicted, because we have to go back for more and more and more, because that feeling we're looking for fades. And this is whether they're good things or bad things. It doesn't matter. There is no thing that can give us what our heart truly longs for. You see, Jesus alone can give us our heart's desire, because Jesus alone can change our heart's desire. See, Jesus doesn't just give us the desire to numb that feeling, to escape that pain, to experience that high. No, Jesus changes us. He changes our desires from the inside out. And as he changes our desire, he meets our desire. We are changed into his very image. And that is why John Piper, Pastor John Piper says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. As we learn that other things in this life and in this world cannot satisfy, 
And we learn that Jesus is the only thing that can satisfy as we seek that satisfaction from him. It ultimately gives more worship, glory, and honor to God. So I want to be clear as we've talked about this today. Maybe you were struggling with addiction. Maybe it is an overtly destructive decision. And that's why you're not in church this morning because you feel ashamed and embarrassed to walk in. You shouldn't. But maybe that's you. Or maybe... You have an addiction, but it's not overtly painful and destructive, and it's hidden. But you know it's there. What I need you to know is that addiction is not an unforgivable sin. That there is forgiveness and salvation available for you right now, even in the midst of your addiction. Hear me out. The good news of the gospel is Jesus is not waiting for you to overcome your addiction, for you to be forgiven of your addiction. He is willing and waiting to meet you now. But that ready and free forgiveness is not an excuse for us to submit to our addictions. But it is a reason to fight those addictions with everything we have. Because when we realize the freedom and forgiveness and hope that we are offered in Jesus, we want to kill anything in our lives that takes the worship away from Him to whom it is due. So we fight it. Not because we want to be forgiven. We fight it because we know in Christ we already are. If you are struggling today with addiction or know someone who is, please reach out. We would love to talk with you, to pray with you, and to point you in a direction where you can find the help that you need to increase that probability that you're going to make the right choice next time. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for the time that you've given us in your word and in this series. God, I pray that it has been helpful and that you would use your word to heal the scars on our soul. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.